the replacements were back. We got a second show to do. Fitty, Flounder, Big E, Smoke Ludwig sitting across from me, and uh, Shroppy. We brought him back one more day to run the board, guide us between the navigational beacons. But uh, if he talks about hockey again mm. for as long as he did yesterday, there's no guarantees He'll be back for tomorrow's show. Well, but the Canes played last night, so he might do that as one of his updates. Um, <laughs> we got a lot to get to. Hall of Fame finalists revealed controversy here in Carolina. Hornets are back in action. Um, you know, there's more bowl games getting underway. The Panthers look to play spoiler again this weekend in the AFC South. But we're going to start the show where we ended the show yesterday, which was... Getting you ready for the Duke's Mayo Bowl between North Carolina and West Virginia. Flounder and myself were down at the WFNC Doghouse, powered by Jack Daniels, getting you ready for the game. And um, one of us thought that the game could get out of hand. One of us thought that it could be competitive. Um, I was right, as I normally am, and Flounder was wrong because this game, for all intents and purposes, was over from the very first play. The score might have been close. Um, throughout the game, but, um, you know, as you often see in these bowl games, one team is heavily more invested than the other, um, and that was definitely West Virginia last night. They got a resounding 30-10 to 10 win over UNC in their backyard, and, you know, we can we can sit here and dissect the game, but I don't think that's what Carolina fans want to hear, and I don't think that's really the, the, the talking point. I think the talking point is is what's next because Carolina ends its season where it started, but now with the same feeling. We walked out of Bank of America Stadium after the season opener, hopeful. I mean, we saw a 31-17 win. Carolina registered nine sacks of Spencer Rattler. They pushed around an SEC front. The season ends at Bank of America Stadium in the Dukes-Mayo Bowl, and you're getting run off the field by a – Big 12 program whose head coach was on the hot seat in mid-September. And all this leads us to is what is next for Mac Brown and Carolina football? I mean, it's, I mean, it's the only thing that we really should be talking about when it comes to Tario football. Um, the answer probably is much of the same and probably trending back towards the end of the Larry Fedora era. Um, what it should be is that, there should be a tough conversation with Mac Brown where you're telling him it's probably time to migrate into retirement um, because it just doesn't seem like he is reaching the players anymore um, it, when it comes to the on the field stuff. Yes, he can recruit. He can recruit as well as anybody uh, in, in the country, really. I mean, the fact that he's still selling this program and even brought in the type of recruiting class that he brought in this time is is honestly pretty amazing. But this is three straight seasons of disappointment. Um, a horrible season in 2021 all around. Uh, complete collapse at the end of last year. And this year, I mean, you lose four of your uh, five of your last six to FBS opponents. I, it's just... I don't know, man. I, I like the thing is, is we can say all we want that we think that changes need to be made. It's not going to happen. They are not going to do anything with Mac Brown. Mac Brown will coach there until he is ready to retire, which may not be for a long time. 
and he probably will not make defensive staff changes. He's probably going to look at the players and say that we just don't have the right players. He's also going to do what he did basically in the postgame last night. He didn't come out and say it. Um, he, he said, I'm not going to talk about our fan base. He's going to blame the fans for not showing up as the reason why they lost that game last night. Um, it'll be a while probably before we hear his next press conference, but that's probably where the bulk of the blame is going to lie in his mind is that we're in Charlotte. We should have had a full contingent of fans. And if that's the case, that should really be the final straw. Cause if you're not going to take accountability, which I mean, he has, he said that it's, it's on us, but I got to be honest. I don't know. He said it. Does he truly believe that it is on him and his staff for what has happened? Smoke, you're, 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 you're a Duke fan. Um, and you went through maybe something similar, not to say that David Cutcliffe is the same type of coach that Mac Brown was or is, but to Duke, he was a savior. Like he made Duke football relevant for the first time since Steve Spurrier was there. But it got to a point at the end where it was like very evident they needed to move on. And you saw what, what you know, what Mike Elko did in two years, that that was the right decision. Do you think Carolina is in the same boat now where maybe it's time that they move on from Mac Brown, even though there's a good chance that the grass won't be as green as it was with him on your sidelines? Yeah, obviously. I think that's the case. Um, and at least with Duke, it was a lot more quiet in terms of, you know, people weren't paying attention to Duke unless they were good. So 2019, 20, more so 29, basically when Daniel Jones left, it was more of a slow process. They were kind of mediocre the year after Daniel Jones left. The COVID year, they thought Chase Bryce, me included, was going to be a guy that was going to get Duke back to that level, and then it didn't work out. And in 2021, it was just a slow, painful death of the end of the David Cutcliffe era. And, you know, the, the things ran its course. Now, do I think this is now going to put Mac Brown on the hot seat officially? Yes, but I don't think you treat him the wrong way in this situation because he's clearly the best coach that North Carolina's had. I think you ride out 2024 no matter what, and hopefully you just try to find a way to get an agreement if things go the way we think they're going to go for him to step down heading into 2025. Because I, I, looking at the schedule for next year, it's not easy, but it's also not hard. But I also see some games where it's like, yeah, they're probably going to lose that. Like, I don't know if they're going to beat Minnesota on the road next year. I know Minnesota was down this year, all things considered. But P.J. Fleck, I think he's going to get things back on the right track and they'll probably be a little bit better offensively. They should beat Charlotte and North Carolina Central. But James Madison, even after Signetti left, you think they're going to beat North uh, James Madison next year? As we're speaking right now? Yeah, I mean, you know, ne next year's next year's next year. Like, I think it's difficult because I'm of the opinion he should have a job for life because he's the best coach the program's ever had. He's the best recruiter the program's ever had, doing it the right way at that. Um, you know, the money is as good as it's ever been. The fan support, despite not many people showing up last night, like Keenan Stadium in the five years that, you know, he's been back in the four years fans were allowed in the building were as full as they've ever been consistently and during my lifetime as a Carolina football fan. Um, and I think on the surface, you look at what he's done. How do you argue with, you know, he, he's meeting and exceeding expectations in a lot of ways. Because you have a nine and one start, I know you finished nine and five. Well, this isn't a program that's supposed to be nine and one. You have a six and zero start. I know you finished eight and five, but this isn't a program that's supposed to be six and zero. Um, and so I think that's that's the bugaboo is that they haven't finished well. And 
I don't know if that's a coaching issue. I don't know uh, if that's yes. a you know if I don't know if it's a it's if a if it's a player issue. Yes. Um, this year, I think it's more. You look at the last two losses of the year at at Clemson at NC State. More of a schedule issue. Like your schedule this year was was front loaded. You raced out to a good start. It toughened up in November, and and you fell short. And so, oh, get the hell out! Of you here. know, there's just a lot of there's just a lot of different factors that that, that really that really go into this. I, the, what what if, if if they were going eight and five with with Connor Harrell, we're not sitting here complaining. No, that would be a tremendous coaching job. But you're eight and five when you have maybe the number one overall pick playing quarterback. That's that's a hard pill to swallow. Um, and, and so I think that's why so many fans are upset with Mac Brown. But you know I think that's what you got to figure out moving forward because if he comes out next year and you go seven and five, eight and four, are you going to be mad at that? Are you going to sit uh, there? It depends what it looks like. like. If it looks exactly the same, then yes. I, I mean, you I can't keep fading down the stretch. What's the point of getting what, what's the point of playing well out of the gate and then just completely falling apart? Like it doesn't that's not sir. I, again, I would rather be a losing program at that rate, because why are you why do you want to get your hopes up just for your team to completely fall apart every single year? It makes no sense. Like he's guys, he's he's not a great motivator late in the season. The games that matter and again, this the end of the schedule, that's on him. Those Look, Clemson is a tough game. They're still not as good as they've been in the past. You had a chance to win that game the way that you started out that game, but you fell apart late, or, or you, you fell apart early with the fumbles. And then State, I mean, dude, the one, the effort was pathetic. That's on Mac Brown. That's a game that the effort should never be questioned, but yet it is, and it's been for years. And I, I mean, at some point, like, dude, NC State, the talent level is not better than Carolina's. You're recruiting better than they are. You up until this year, you had been better in the transfer portal than they were. So how are they beating you that bad on the field? It's coaching. So, I mean, dude, at some point, like enough is enough. You said one of the main things you said when you came back, Mac, was that you wanted to win the state. Well, it ain't happening anymore. And I got to be honest, Duke, not the most inspiring hire, but still a very solid one, bringing in Malik Murphy. Are we sure that program isn't better than you right now? Wake Forest, probably better than you right now. So what are you, fourth in the pecking order in your own state? Like, sorry, man, that's, that's, that's unacceptable. And, I mean, you got to have some standards, at some point. Well, and look, I'm not going to go as far as to say they're behind Wake because Wake is having a rough year, had a rough year this past year. I mean, look at how consistent they were before yeah, that, true, though. True. That's that, my, is, that would be my argument. That is true, but you still wonder, hey, you know, is Dave Clawson going to be able to bounce back? And I understand that, but to your point, the, the way they've collapsed the last three years, if you look at their records from November 1st to the end of the year since 2021, they are 6-10. and 10. It's not good. That's Brutal. not good. Brutal. Especially after the way they started the last two years. You can't finish like that. And they've lost in some of the biggest heartbreaking, like some of the biggest clusters performances that you could possibly have, specifically against NC State, your biggest rival. Well, that's the thing. Also, like, we knew how important that game was to the program coming in. We said as much on the podcast, probably said it on air, too. And for you to come out that flat in that game, 
I mean, that just, uh, to me, that, that, that tells you everything you need to know. That's pretty much the nail in the coffin. That dude, nobody cares. And that's the problem. If they don't care about winning, then it's on the head coach. I, at some point, like, I, and I get it. People are concerned about moving on. But, I mean, programs have had to move on from legendary coaches before. It hasn't always worked out great. But my thing is, is you're going to have to make the move at some point. You've got talented recruiting classes that are still in place. If you make a somewhat inspiring hire, most of those guys are going to stick around and you at least leave the job to in a spot where it is one that is interesting to outside candidates. And you could possibly like if you're telling me if you get a Jamie Chadwell, that's not a great that, that wouldn't be a great hire. Like, that would inspire some confidence into me. Look at what he's done in one year at Liberty. Well, look what he did so, at Coastal Carolina. And Coastal, yes. So, I mean, that's that's kind of where I'm at. I think you have to have the conversation. Do I think it's guaranteed that you have to get rid of him? No. Um, I don't think you're going to get rid of him. But I, you, I do wonder also if Mac Brown looks around and starts to get that feeling of, am I kind of losing my touch with some of these players, like these guys just don't seem motivated by me anymore. But who knows? Yeah, I mean, you know, look, football coaches, they're stubborn. Um, and he's, you know, he's going to want to see see this thing out. I'd like for him to, to look at himself in the mirror and said, dude, you accomplished what you set out to accomplish. You, you know, you made the program relevant again. The job is is in a better place. It's, it's, it's going to be as attractive as it's, probably ever been since it, you know you know since it opened the last time whenever you left to go to Texas and so um you know you you, you went to five straight bowl games um you know you, you you were in playoff conversations like you did a lot of great things and you in a lot of ways you still overachieved for what this program has experienced the last you know 40 to 50 years if that didn't, uh, you know, if, if that wasn't going to cause a stir and argument within within us on the text line, the next conversation most certainly will, because last night we got the we got the finals for the 2024 Hall of Fame. We got one Panther on the list, but another Panther he was left off. We'll talk about that and more right here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The replacements are here with you once again. Fitty, Flounder, Evan Smoke, Ludwig. Yeah, that's it. Yep. Oh, man. We're... And Shromp. Shromp. It's uh, it's about to get heated here in the Planet Kia Studios. It's probably a good thing that, that Colin Hoggart is off this week on vacation. If you follow him on Twitter, he had a really long discourse about... The Hall of Fame of finalists that were revealed last night. And Smoke, we saw Julius Peppers' name on the list. And and, and rightfully so. Julius Peppers is maybe, maybe the best athlete to ever come out of this state with what he did as a football and a basketball player at Carolina. And that's saying something. You know, on two all-decade teams in the NFL. Um, I know Jordan's winning might, might trump that, but from an athlete standpoint, you know, Pep is... One of the you know the, the the freaks we've ever seen play the defensive end position, um, and, and so you know we we look at him, we see Julius Peppers, and we're we're excited, we're happy because it feels like he's going in first ballot. 
But you look down that list and you see a bunch of different names and you 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 don't see Steve Smith's name on the list once again. And we know the stigma about NFL wide receivers having to wait to get into the Hall of Fame. So I'll ask you as a guy that watched those two careers up close and in person, are you more happy that Julius Peppers is a finalist or more upset that Steve Smith was once again left off the ballot? So first off, I want to say it's not, uh, you know, he's not in yet. We've got to clarify that because the finalists, there's 15 guys. Only five of these guys are going to get in on the modern era. And I also want to point out, too, Steve has been on the ballot. I think this is his third or fourth year. He's got 22 years to get in. So he's going to get in. I, I think we can all agree on that. Mm-hmm. But it's frustrating, and it's more frustrating that Steve is not in compared to Julius Peppers because we all know Pep is going to get in. And we got no problem. It's not like we're dismissing what Pep did, but for as tremendous and transcendent as Pep was here in Carolina, Steve, for a lot of people and for a lot of years, was the heart and soul of this franchise. For at least five years, at the very least five years, was the heart and soul of this organization, especially for this fan base. Whenever the fan base, you know, when times are tough, who did the fan base look to more than anyone in that locker room? It wasn't Julius Peppers. I mean, you know, Julius left because of the situation with Jerry and just the fact that he wasn't wanting to pay anyone heading into a lockout. It was Steve Smith. Steve Smith was always that guy. Even though it, this was an offense that wasn't really predicated on the past, Steve Smith was the guy. When you talk to people nationally, if you go to Oklahoma and say, hey, can you name me one person on the Carolina Panthers? They might name Julius Peppers. I, they probably would. But who would come first? Steve Smith. Up until Cam Newton... When they, they basically it's kind of a passing of the torch in terms of how the fan base viewed those two. Steve Smith was always the guy. And Steve Smith had some of the best playoff performances and some of the most clutch performances in NFL history for a wide receiver. I, I mean, it, and that's what the frustrating thing is. Because, look, unfortunately for Steve, and I think this is playing a large, more than anything, is playing a massive factor into why he's not in the Hall of Fame as of right now or is not a finalist yet again it's the fact that there's been a lot of wide receivers that have had to wait a little bit longer than Steve, and there's a big log jam, and it's probably going to continue a little bit. There's a little bit of a lull right now for the next two years until 2026. That's when Larry Fitzgerald's going to get in first battle, which I have no problem with. But, I mean, Reggie Wayne, Torrey Holt, Andre Johnson seem to always get the upper hand over Steve Smith. And, unfortunately, I don't see a year where we're going to have two wide receivers get in within the next two years. So, I'm starting to get a little worried that Steve is going to have to wait longer than he should. He feels like he could be this generation's uh, Tim Brown in, in terms of how long he has to wait. Yeah, I, I referenced Collins' Twitter discourse, and I'll read two of his tweets he sent out last night. Steve Smith has more playoff touchdowns than the three wide receiver finalists and has twice as many playoff TDs as Hull and Johnson combined. Mm. He also scored one touchdown per playoff game played. So, like, you know, and, and Colin put in there that playoffs aren't the end-all, be-all, but, you know, that is the biggest stage that you have in pro football. And he performed as well as any receiver that we have that we see as a finalist for the Hall of Fame right now. He outperformed all of them. All while being, you know, yes, you had Moose and Muhammad, but in 2005, he was the guy. He was the dude. His player performance at Chicago when they, when they upset the Bears in the divisional round – is as good a wide receiver performance you've seen in playoff history. And I'm not just speaking on hyperbole because that's the local team here. 
Like he was that he was that good against a vaulted uh, Bears defense, a great secondary at the time. They could not guard him. And so I, I think there's reasons to be frustrated because this has been a guy that, yes, he had Musa Muhammad at times, but once he became a legit number one wide receiver, was that guy. And whenever his team needed him, this guy made play after play after play for good football teams and not so good football teams. And you got to wonder that some of the laws that they have, is that impacting his career or his chances to get into the Hall of Fame because they wasn't a consistent winner. You were a part of teams that, you know, would go two and 14 or, 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 you know, just not, not be competitive at all. And if so, that's not fair because he was still a great player on a bad football team. And and here's the thing. Look, I, you mentioned his playoff game against the Chicago bears. One of the single greatest single performances in playoff history from a non quarterback. We have ever seen 12 catches, 218 receiving yards, two touchdowns that also doesn't account for the uh, 26 rushing yards he had in that game as well and and, I mean look at receivers that were I mean you always knew the ball was going to Steve Smith if it was a passing play because the other receivers in that game Drew Carter oh Drew Carter Ricky Prohl and Kerry Colbert as well as Chris Magna but he was a tight end so gee wonder who the ball is going to go to well the other thing that you have to factor in here is look at the quarterbacks that these other guys played with. I mean, look, Andre Johnson. Yeah, you you might. He's the lean, one guy. Yeah. yeah, you might lean with with Jake over. I mean, the best guy he played with was Matt Schaub. Uh, Schaub, was, Schaub was up there. He was he was pretty good. I think it's a conversation. The other two, there is absolutely no conversation. Torrey Holt played with Hall of Famer Kurt Warner, and Reggie Wayne played with. I mean, in some people's minds, maybe the most talented quarterback ever in Peyton Manning and biggest forehead. So. I mean, it's to to me. I don't understand. And you look at where he stands. So if you're if you're a stat nerd, well then I still don't understand this argument. Smitty is ahead of each one of these guys in receiving yards. And keep in mind, I mean, he did it with the team that yeah, I mean they they did throw the ball to him a decent amount. They were run based teams. Over so fifty percent. Yeah. So I mean. I don't. I don't really understand it. I maybe may, that that's something I really didn't think of. Maybe they do look at the team success. Although if you're doing that, then why is Andre Johnson here? Where where is the the, the success for Andre Johnson and the Texans? That's a fair point. I also like, wonder. You know, and, and I don't want to speak out of place here. Did some of the off the field stuff, or this was a guy that would fight his own teammates? And look, we we know how these voters are. Like voters are going to find a reason to not vote people in. Like, could that be something that's playing into this as well, where maybe this was a guy that fought Ken Lucas? Um, you know, was, was you know, the Panthers virtually had to move on from him so that Cam Newton could grow into be the leader that the quarterback is supposed to be of the locker room. I don't know. But for whatever reason, this guy is, this guy's being screwed because the production, the production is there. And you, you played it enough in big games and produced enough in big games for this guy to be a Hall of Famer? Uh, well, I wouldn't say the off-the-field incidents are really hurting him because there have been, I mean, look, Andre Johnson's on this list now. Uh, it was one incident with Andre Johnson, but we all seen the, the video of Cortland Finnegan in that infamous moment. Also, it didn't really hurt Marvin Harrison and his uh, alleged accusations that happened. That's that's very true. And he was innocent. Uh, he's innocent just so he wouldn't whip my butt. Uh, but, you know, so he didn't have to wait that long. Cover your bases. Yeah, cover my bases, CYA. Uh, but, I mean, it's it's frustrating. I think it partially is because he's in Charlotte. 
If he was in New York, he wouldn't have this problem. Yeah. Uh, and, and part of the problem, too, and this is frustrating me to no end. And look, should he be in the Hall of Fame? Yes. But the fact that he's already been a finalist multiple times has made me furious. And that is Devin Hester. Devin Hester, was he an elite kickoff returner and punt returner? Absolutely. He changed the way you played the Chicago Bears. You would kick that ball out of bounds almost every single time it got to that point. That's why his numbers went down after his rookie year. Here's the problem, though. Steve Smith, in his own right, was a tremendous kickoff and putt returner as well. Yep. The only reason he could have put up the same exact numbers that Devin Hester did, but he didn't because guess what? He also was an elite wide receiver. Remember when he tried to make Devin Hester a wide receiver? What happened? Eh. Not wasn't great. really that good. They tried to make him a, well, what was it? Originally corner, receiver, and running back. He did not affect the game in any of those three areas. He was just a special team. And guy. the thing is, he would be the first guy in, and he wouldn't have to wait nearly as long as mm-hmm. some other guys. Like, the fact that Billy White Shoes Johnson's not in the Hall of Fame, but he, and Billy White Shoes Johnson's been retired for 40 years. The fact that Eric Metcalf, which, by the way, say what you will about Eric Metcalf, he may not have as good of punt and kick return stats, but guess what? Eric Metcalf actually turned into a really damn good receiver in Atlanta in the mid-90s, seven years into his career. So it's like, okay, so why are you putting Devin Hester in above Steve Smith? When Steve Smith could have easily put those same numbers in, and you would be completely ignoring it if he did that in Carolina like he did throughout his career. Well, the other thing, right, Smoke, is we're, we're not even that angry that he's not in yet. Because you mentioned it. There's a log jam at receiver. The fact that he is not even a finalist is what is really making us crazy here this it does not make any sense why you it's now three straight years like okay misses a year one i don't know if you really maybe they are thinking the off the field stuff which by the way if you're thinking that well then uh, uh, here's the thing then uh, you need to go back through the rest of the hall of fames in every sport and take out the people that are horrible people you're talking about the athlete so you're telling me that Ty Cobb was a great human? He's one of the worst people that's ever existed on this earth. And we're not and saying that guy's Steve is a in bad the Hall human. of Fame. Steve has no, done a tremendous he's job. He's just made a couple of mistakes, and those mistakes were long ago. Yes, and dude, it's it's on the field, man. Stuff like it's not completely forgivable. It's stuff, but it's it's stuff that happens in the heat of competition. And I mean the the thing with Cam. I mean, what what is? I mean, come on, like that's a, that that's literally just a disagreement, like. I don't really understand what would be there if they're looking at that. That's unbelievable. How is T.O. anywhere close to the Hall of Fame? Well, and I also will say this, too. Like, this could be a bigger problem in the future because if I'm a Panthers fan right now, if you're listening and you're a Carolina Panthers fan right now, you're looking at this Hall of Fame, yes, of course you want Julius Peppers to get in, and I don't think you'll have to worry. I think at least one of these wide receivers and Torrey Holt's going to get in because Torrey Holt's been having to wait the longest. And plus, we'd be happy because Torrey Holt's a North Carolina native. I know you guys aren't NC State fans, but he's an NC State legend. A lot of Wolfpack fans like him. And he's, you know, had a tremendous NFL career, and he should be in the Hall of Fame. All three of these wide receivers in their own right should be in the Hall of Fame. It's just we think Steve shouldn't have to wait as long as he should has right now. The one guy you better want in the Hall of Fame, because this is probably going to be, we're, we're going to have more frustrations. You better hope Patrick Willis gets into the Hall of Fame this year. Yeah, because if not, we could be doing the same thing with Luke Keekley where it's taking a guy that, and, and for me, was the second best linebacker I've ever seen play, right behind Ray Lewis, and I saw the back end of Ray Lewis's career. This guy was as dominant uh, a middle linebacker I've ever seen. One of the all pro every year of his career, um, pro bowler, you know, was you know the the face of one of the best defenses um, in, in, in football during his time here and. You're right, Smoke. 
And how much would it kill Panther fans if you're sitting here every year, you're getting the the finalist ballot, and you're having to wait for two of your all-time greats and Steve Smith and Luke Keekley to get enshrined in Canton where they where they rightfully belong because they're two of the best to ever play at their respective position. And, and that's the frustrating thing. And what makes it frustrating with Patrick Willis is Patrick Willis and Luke Keekley almost identical stats on terms of career length and everything. And he's still not gotten into the Hall of Fame. He's been having to wait for about four years now. By the way, he's played for one of the most prestigious organizations in the NFL, and he's having this problem. So what makes me think that Keekley's going to fare any better for the Carolina Panthers, still one of the newest franchises? Patrick Willis is a 49er, and for a lot of really good 49er teams, the only reason he probably, I mean, is in the bigger deals because he didn't win a Super Bowl. But he was in a Super Bowl. They were one of the most consistent defenses in the league at that time. And he was the face of that defense. So that's what makes me concerned. So I hope that Patrick Willis gets in because it will help Luke Keekley, even if Luke Keekley would have to wait a year or more. The only good thing that we can really take away from what happened last night is it just basically shows that Peppers is likely going to get in first ballot. Which I mean, well, which, if he, I will say this. You talk about the market size being a fact. If he doesn't get in first ballot, uh, then, oh, then, we, we, then we are really having a conversation about Havoc that. will be... Havoc will be in chaos will happen. I mean, that would just be insanity. I'm sorry. Jason Taylor got in. No offense to Jason Taylor, but Julius Peppers is better than Jason Taylor. And Jason Taylor got in first ballot. Yeah. Well, that was well. All right. Um, well, you just heard Shroppy play a sound effect there. Shroppy hit us with a shropping it like it's hot. It better not be hockey. You know it's hockey. Do it, Shroppy. You know it's hockey. Come on, man. I'm in charge of the mic. Get it in. I'm going to do it. Why did I say that? That sounded weird. Okay, (laughs) go ahead. Oh, oh, oh. Get it out. So the Hurricanes got a dub last night against the Nashville Predators. A little get back because they beat us the last time we played them. They actually outshot us by 12, but we still got that dub. Uh, Piotr Kachekov playing pretty solid in net last night. And they're actually playing again tonight. They're playing at home against the Montreal Canadiens. Uh, Hurricanes are 9-3-3 at home, but the Canadiens are 8-4-3 away. So hopefully Carolina can uh, string two together here after their break. Now, Shroff, how big was that win yesterday for the Canes? Because they also got off to a very hot start. They were up like 2 nothing within mm-hmm. what, the first 20 minutes. Yeah, it was It was a good – I would say it was a good team win, but also it was really nice to see the power play uh, be – Efficient. Uh, they had six power plays. They scored on three of them. Woo. And uh, the Predators go. Predators had four power plays and only scored on one. So that uh, penalty kill is also looking as good as ever. Yeah, so. your special teams. I mean, that's that's where getting a guy like Andre Shvechnikov back. And you saw him. He scores mm-hmm. last night. Sebastian Ajo, four <sighs> points in the game. I mean, that's huge, man. That's, that's, that's the type of win that you need. Now, the thing is, is that, look. We've seen them pick up big wins. Like, we thought the the win over Vegas would be what would turn, potentially turn the season. Yeah. And then they come out and lose two straight. At some point, you have to start turning these into consecutive wins and building a win streak. Like, right now, again, they're still fourth in that Metropolitan Division. But the thing is is if you win a couple of games, you're firmly in second. Yep. So that that's that's kind of what they're looking at. I think they got a chance to do it. Montreal's not a great team. Um, I think that would be huge if you could start out after the Christmas break with two back-to-back wins like that, especially if the goaltending carries over and you have another yes. good night tonight. Yes. I think that could be something that they could build off of, and uh, we'll see. Hopefully, you know, they're at home. 
I think they could get it done. Yeah, I'll, hopefully they skate hard. They have a good morning skate. They got a good routine, and maybe they get you know three points or two, two points. I'm or, turn your mic off, dude. Um, you know, who knows? We come back here <laughs> on the replacements. The Hornets, they're back in action tonight. They're in L.A. taking on the Lakers. At 7-21, and 21, where do the Hornets go from here? We'll talk about that and a whole lot more right here on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The replacements. Shane Falco here with you. Um, negative. No, you're not Shane Falco. Well, you, it's definitely not you. You're bald and fat, so. Oh. Wow. Um, I think it's probably smoke. Smoke is. Chris Collins said that's what backup quarterbacks are, so that would. <laughs> yeah. I'm, you know I'm, what? You make a fair point. I'm 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 Shane Falco of this. By the so. way, Andy Dalton has to be incredibly offended by that, right? Yes. I mean, come on, dude. That's a fine. That's a good-looking fella. Can we come also, on, man. Can we also get on Fiddy for wimping out and not going full bald over Christmas break Ooh. like he said he was going to? How oh. many times? This is a fair point. How many times are you going to say this before you actually go through with it, or are you just not? You're just not doing it. Stop teasing us, Fiddy. I mean, look, it was it was on the table. I had told my father, you 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 know, it's at it's at your mercy. If you want to make me bald, make me bald. He chose not to, and life goes on. I'm I'm still sitting here with a receding hairline. I think he's lying. He's afraid that he's not going to be a good-looking bald man. It's what is what I've been told. I don't know if that's a receding hairline. That's more you're more rocking the cold sack going on. <laughs> you want to be back in here tomorrow, Trump, or you want to be sitting there in the side studio? <laughs> the coldest sack. That's interesting. I I, I got to tell you, um, Trump with some good ones back there. Uh, so let's talk a little bit about the Charlotte Hornets. They, of course, back in action tonight, still out in L.A. as they take on the Los Angeles Lakers. And look, man, this is a team that has just completely fallen apart. Nine straight losses for them, 10 of the last 11, 7-21. Uh, I mean, it's it's so tough because you started the year with so much hope. You opened the season with that win over Atlanta. You felt like, okay, all we have to do is find a way to stay healthy. This has been another injury-riddled season. I mean, where are we at with this team? Like, is there any hope for this team moving forward? I mean, look, I think peanut butterhead is off the table. Oh, for people, that, that, for people that, that do not know what that is, Fiddy made a bet that if they, what, when won 37 30, If they won 37, 37 games. 37, okay. I was going 36. Um, I was going to put peanut butter on my head for an entire Wesson Walker show for three hours. If they won 36 or less, Walker had to buy me a week's worth of lunch up to, I think we capped it at 75. <sighs> and here's the thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, offered, I offered Tall Man an opt-out. Here we go. Early in December, oh, I was like, how gracious, how gracious of you. They're not winning 37 games. You you, you make Bossy Beulah show up during the show, bets off the table. And to his credit, he wants to stay true to the show because it makes for great content. But he's going to have to feed me for a week, and I'm going to empty out his pockets as best as I can. I mean, I got to be honest. If they... If they somehow win less than 17, shouldn't it have to be two full weeks? I don't you know, think it'll get that bad. I mean, I don't th- I don't think it will either. But my thing is is like you got to look, when 
LaMelo comes back, that's going to help you tremendously. The thing is, though, is he going to be able to stay healthy? Like, the fact that he is not open at all to the ankle brace, to trying to do something to slow this down, has got to be maddening. Like, look, man, love the kid, love the talent. The problem is, is that at some point, like, yeah, it's okay to be frustrated as a Hornets fan and say, man, you got to do what's best for the team at some point. Because if we've said it, and I truly believe it, if this team had stayed healthy, I mean, they would be at least competitive in the Eastern Conference. They just, I mean, they they have enough guys, uh, enough, I'm not going to say star power, but they've got enough NBA guys when healthy to be a team that can compete in the Eastern Conference. It's just... You know, at this point, smoke. I, I don't know. I don't know if that's possible with the injury luck that they've had. Yeah, and we're just starting the Western Conference road trip. By the way, I knew it got bad in this month. I didn't know it was this bad. They've only won one game in December. Oh my God. Yeah, that bad. And so tonight they got the Lakers. Don't think it's going to happen. They're still hurt. Phoenix tomorrow, second night of a back-to-back against the Suns team that's reeling and needs a win. Uh, congratulations, Phoenix. I think you just got a win that you needed. Then Denver, not going to happen. Sacramento, not going to happen. Maybe you get a win again in the home-and-home series against the Bulls, maybe. I don't know, but like, luckily they played the Spurs, but I can't even say that's a win right now with the way they've been playing recently. So I don't know. It's just it's frustrating because I don't think this team would be great if they were healthy throughout the whole year, but I mean, they would at least be somewhat entertaining. Like we definitely say, oh, they're the 9-10. to 10. I don't know people are sick and tired of hearing 9-10. to 10. But in this season, yeah, all things considered, it wouldn't be the worst thing. But the, the frustrating part, too, is Miles Bridges, when he first came back, he looked like a bat out of hell, was tremendous, shooting the ball, very efficient, looked pretty good on D. For, for the last three weeks, he's been inefficient, especially from behind the arc, basically what he has been throughout his whole career. And his defense has been horrendous. Oh, oh t- absolutely pathetic. I like, I, I just, yeah, I mean... I think at some point, like, you're hoping, I mean, if you could get LaMelo and Mark Williams back, I feel like that's enough to at least make you entertaining. That allows you to win some games. But, I mean, with these guys sidelined, like, it, it just, it, it killed this team. Now, one of the things, I mean, Brandon Miller softens the blow a little bit, right? A little bit, yeah, but he's hurt now, too. That's the thing, man. Is no matter who it is, everybody seems to get hurt. The good, like the good news is, you have your core. You've got Lamelo, Mark Williams, and Brandon Miller. The problem is, is you have to question whether these guys can stay healthy. I was with Colin before the season. He taught. He came on here. We did a show with him actually, where he came on here. He talked about how excited he was about this young core and felt like this was the best young core that the Hornets may have ever had. And I think he's right in terms of talent. But I mean, yeah, we're, we're seeing the results of when these guys cannot be on the floor at the same time. You're seeing, I mean, just injuries that are going so deep into the rest of your rotation that you're having to play guys that, I mean, we, we talk about it being a summer league roster. I don't know if you guys have noticed the Hornets summer league team is not all that great either. So those guys are having to play in regular season NBA games, this is why the results are what they are. I mean, look, this is a team that right now, frankly, you need to try to get as healthy as you can and hope that Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward have trade value. You blow it up and you and you run 
LaMelo, Brandon Miller, and Mark Williams out there as much as you can. Because you got to figure out, like, because I think I think the, the belief is that that is your core. Um, Mark Williams has his moments, but this is a guy that when he goes up against top, you know, echelon centers is a, is a non-factor. Uh, Brandon Miller, I think, you know, as a rookie on the perimeter offensively, has more than exceeded expectations. He's validated why they chose him over Scoot Henderson. But defensively, he's got a lot of room to, to grow and improve to be an adequate defender in a league that doesn't value any defense. And so that that's where they're at. Um, you know, I think when you get new ownership, this type of stuff was always in the cards where you're going to blow the team up and the new ownership wants to remake the team in its image. I just don't think we thought they'd be seven and twenty-one. No, like you know, I, I when I made the bet, I was kind of on the fringe of like I'm probably going to lose this bet because I thought as, as as constructed, they'd be a competitive basketball team, and the injuries have certainly taken away from that. But I mean, you, you, we're going into a second straight season. Then after the new year, what's 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 the appeal to watch them? Unless you blow it up and you watch your young guys grow, you watch them grow, develop together. Well, I think part of the frustration too is we felt heading into this year. Well, there could be injuries because injuries always happen, but it, it, it it can't happen two years in a row like they did in 2022 and 2023. Uh, well, unfortunately, the injury bug is still here the same way it was last year, and that's really what I think has been killer because. While there is some talent, the depth is not deep enough because you completely whiffed on the 2021 NBA draft. And there's like I'm excited about the draft class. It's been nice to see the last couple of games. Nick Smith Jr. have some of his moments, but he's still he's still so young. So you can't really take anything from it and say, oh, he's definitely going to be the guy and he's ready for a lot of minutes because he's not. But it's just it's frustrating. And it's even more frustrating when Lamelo had the run he had before he got injured. When Brandon Miller continues to flash, and then he just gets these random ankle injuries. So that's the frustrating part is because you see these flashes, and you get quick glimpses of them, and then they quickly go away at the snap of a finger. That's what really has made this season frustrating. Not the wins and losses, but the injuries and when they occur and how they occur. Yeah, and and you're hoping at some point that you can get the main core healthy. You're right. I think blowing it up. They have to do it at some point. When is... When is a better time than now? Because you would imagine, right, new coach, new GM. So if you're going to make that move, then why not ship out some of the pieces? And look, not all of these guys are going to be tradable, but ship out some of the pieces that you know are not part of your future and focus on trying to keep that that threesome that we talked about healthy and getting them out on the court as much as possible. Well, the Hornets, they're going to try to figure that out, of course, uh, later on tonight. Uh, what is it? 10.30 tip, right? So 9.30 pregame here. It, uh, I believe Bone is is doing pregames these, this week, uh, along with Kyle. So, yes, Kyle is because uh, Willie P is on his European vacation. That's right. We received pictures earlier today of him, but, which, by the way, he said that he wasn't going to text us while he was on this vacation because it cost him. So he's paying... He's paying money to send pictures. It's yeah, like, it, why don't you just wait till the end of the trip and when you get back? He can't help but to text bone. There you go on a daily basis. But yeah, those guys will be on. Uh, th- those guys will have the pregame show for you, nine thirty tonight, and then of course Sam Farber will be on the call at ten thirty right here on Sports Radio ninety two seven WFNZ. When we come back here on the replacements, it's time to. 
uh, talk about the Carolina Panthers. And we heard Derek Brown say before the Atlanta game, he wants to play spoiler for some of these playoff teams. Can the Panthers continue to do that this week against the Jacksonville Jaguars? We'll talk about that coming up on this edition of The Replacements back after this on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.